this is Stacy from the risk mitigation side of Leader Solutions and Decision Support. And today I have a new guest to the podcast series, Cliff Wilson. Cliff is our go-to guy when it comes to all things to do with cybersecurity. And let me tell you, cyber really is a whole new world. Welcome, Cliff, and thank you for taking the time to share some of your knowledge with us today. So when we say cybersecurity, that really encompasses a lot, to put it very lightly. Today, we're going to narrow that down to a very specific focus and talk about how to do a cybersecurity audit. Cliff, let's just jump into this. I think a lot of people tend to zone out when anything about cybersecurity comes up. I'm a bit guilty of that myself. So who exactly is vulnerable when it comes to cybersecurity and where do we start? Hey, Stacey, thank you so much for having me. And this is a great topic. It's an ongoing topic everywhere. And those are definitely some good questions to start with. So who is vulnerable? First of all, everyone is vulnerable, right? When you think about the various person, a hacker, anything like that, pretty much anything is possible in the realms of the cybersecurity world, right? The biggest things that you need to think about is, are you actually a target? And if you are a target, it just takes more resources and money to get to somebody. So usually we're not the target primarily, unless there's some specific reason, company, managed IP or something that they're going for. So usually what you want to do is just avoid being what's called the lowest hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is all those really easy things that take some time to do, but people that avoid all of those and do nothing to protect themselves from a cybersecurity perspective, those people are those lowest hanging fruit and those easy targets that are really easy for the hackers and nefarious targets to go after. So, you know, I have a few things that I think about every day, but there's definitely some things that kind of cover, we'll say like a 75, 80% solution that really helps you not be that lowest hanging fruit. So when I jump into these things, the first thing that everyone should be aware of is the education aspect. And the way I think about it is you always just want to be aware and suspicious. And what I mean by that is coming up on the holidays or scams, People are getting really good with technology. So they're doing phishing emails. They're doing smishing or SMS phishing, sending text messages, putting out these links. And people are using fake email addresses that look very similar to the real thing. And the best thing you can do is just be aware that people are going to try to scam you and try to put you into a phishing attack or something of that sort. But look at links, look for mistakes and errors and do what you think should be right. So like if your example would be if your bank emails you, the bank will have a website and you should be able to navigate to whatever they want to do from that website, instead of necessarily clicking a link on an email or a, a text message, something of that sort. So that's one way to approach that from the educational perspective. The next thing you do is you really wanna just cover some of the baselines of something that everyone can do. So for instance, using a strong password. I personally use a password manager and that helps in a couple of ways. So first thing is it creates passwords for me, 15, 12 characters, complex, random letters and things like that, but it also, puts that password, like from an autofill perspective, into all of my websites, my phone and things like that. And what that does is it doesn't let me control the password, but it also takes away something that's called the keylogger. So for something, for instance, if you had a keylogger on a computer, which is a piece of malware that records every single thing that you write down or type on your keyboard. So if you went to like yourbank.com and you typed in Cliff as my username, and then a password right after that, that's something you could go through a log or go through this information and see that that's potentially from a pattern, a bank website, a name and a password, you could pull that out easily. So that's one thing that prevents from that as well. So I highly recommend using a password manager. Awesome. And like we talked about before, knowing what you're doing. And what I mean by that is always being aware and suspicious, but what are you doing? You're browsing the web, 
make sure you're going to the right website. If you're purchasing something, make sure that it looks legitimate and that it has that little lock icon with HTTPS at the top. It doesn't look weird or anything like that. It's just be aware of your surroundings of what you're doing. So to go deeper too, like I try not to buy anything on like a local public Wi-Fi, or if I am, I'm always using a VPN or something of that sort. So covering your tracks there too is try to always use a VPN. When you're doing these public Wi-Fi's and things like that, you're not sure what's really controlling it. It's very easy to do what's called like a man in the middle attack or like spoofing an email or spoofing a Wi-Fi network. Nothing says that I can't go into Starbucks and then put in a new Wi-Fi network called free Starbucks Wi-Fi. And if I have internet, I can project Wi-Fi to that network and people can connect through me and I pretty much see everything that goes through that. That's an excellent so, point because people like you think it's a great idea to go like relax, have a coffee and just browse, <laughs> which yeah. really might not be safe. So you mentioned a VPN and I'll, I'll put a note in here, too, for folks listening that we're going to be putting together a checklist that's going to be attached to this podcast, too. So all of this, all of these references that Cliff's making, it's all going to be in the notes there for you. So we're going to have the links and all that sort of stuff to all these recommendations. So listen for now and then check out the notes for more details and where to go to find this stuff. So quick recap so far, you being aware and suspicious, never clicking those links read before you're doing anything, having a strong password, password managers are great for that. Really knowing what you're doing when you're browsing and purchasing and things like that. Next one I wanna to go to is social media. Social media is a very big way to gather information. And there's two aspects of that. So, you know, we have what's called open source research and open source intelligence. And people are trained and there's training out there to really just gather as much information as you can about individuals to learn about their life and their pattern of life, information about their life and things like that, and put it all together to make it useful. So like, I, have an Instagram. I don't use it much. I usually use it to browse. I don't post too much. I don't even have a Facebook anymore. I do use LinkedIn. It's a little bit different, I would say, from a social media aspect, but I'm very hesitant about what I post on social media and, and on the internet in general. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really big one to approach as well. And unfortunately, today in the digital age, we have tons of people that like pretty much live through social media. They're making their businesses through social media. And that just, you know, you need to be aware that that's an avenue of approach from a target perspective. Definitely. Another one to go a little bit deeper is I always try to use multi-factor authentication with everything I can. And what I mean by that is you're bringing another piece of authentication. So when I say authentication is usually most people are aware of like a name and a password or a username and a password. And what we'd like to see is a username and a password and then some other way to verify that. So usually the next easiest way would be like a text message or a code to send it to you or something of that sort, right? But I'm going to go a step further and say what we really recommend to do is use an application of some sort. So I use Authy or Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator. And that just really makes it a little bit harder. And sometimes it actually poses more authentication methods in there. So like if I log into facebook.com, it says use the code that's given to you in your multi-factor authentication application of preference. And then when I open up that application, it's actually going to require maybe a biometric fingerprint or a face or a code to actually get into it in the first place. And then you click on that Facebook or whatever application or website it is, and then you get a code, you put that code in. So that's multi-factor authentication. And that's what I would try to recommend using with any type of website, application, anything you use. Okay. Awesome. And We'll say one of the last parts of the education is knowing like the devices that you're using is in doing what you can do to control that device from an update perspective. So I always try to update everything as quickly as I can. And that includes like OS updates, application updates, 
firmware updates and things like that. So pretty much updates are pushed out because there was something wrong, something wasn't working properly, or there was a vulnerability. And the biggest one I'll use is Microsoft Windows. We call it Patch Tuesday. So I think it's like the second Tuesday of every month. There is a series of updates released. And these are normal updates, could be for efficiency, whatever it is, right? But if there's a security update that's pushed out, it's usually because there's what's called a zero day vulnerability, which means there's a vulnerability that's been recently discovered and it's being patched or fixed. So that vulnerability is no longer useful on that computer or can be used on that computer. And that's a really big thing because a lot of these updates are public. So I can go to Microsoft and look at all these security vulnerabilities that have been patched and I can actually just use that vulnerability that's been patched on there and try to target any computer or device that has not been patched. So when you see that little icon at the bottom of the computer that says, please restart your computer to, to do this update, push it off for a day and then it ends up being a week. And next thing you know, it's been a month. Just remember that makes yourself a little bit easier to be a target. And that's actually a very known vulnerability and exploit to actually access your computer or get some kind of access that someone shouldn't have. Okay. Okay. That, <laughs> that puts mm -hmm. a little more urgency on that when you put it in perspective like that. It's like, oh yeah, I'll do it later. No big deal. But to know that people can see the list of vulnerabilities and then target people yes. who have not done the update yet, like do it now. Okay. Okay. Yep. And it's even bigger for everything. So talking about your phones or iOS or Android updates. And when I say update everything, I mean, I try to go through everything that I can, even if it's like the iOS app store ready for a, an application to be updated, try to update it quickly. That's all I'm going to say. And then the biggest thing is it kind of goes back to the education perspective, but we really don't understand that. We haven't grown up in this digital world that's focused on security necessarily. We're kind of now transitioning to more of a security perspective. And we, we didn't, we weren't raised trying to prevent ourselves from being more secure. So that's kind of the problem that we're running into these days. That's very true and a great perspective on that. So the education piece, hugely important there, and that helped a lot, your notes on that. So what am I looking at around the house? What do I need to check out and make sure it's safe? So the first thing we can do is, is like home Wi-Fi, right? It's these days, they try to make it easier for the consumer and the user. They're like, hey, I'm a Verizon guy. I'll just come and set up it all for you. So you don't have to do anything. That is definitely ease. It's, it's easier for a person to use that and start using it after they set it up for you. But I highly recommend going in there and changing a lot of default settings and changing passwords and things like that that are already set up for you. So that hits on a couple of things. So first off, that Verizon guy or whoever it is, probably knows the information to get onto your network if they'd like. We should not assume that everybody is working their job properly and being secure and doing things properly. One of the biggest things that we see today from like even like the enterprise perspective is the insider threat. It's someone that you would like least expect to be bad and or nefarious in any kind of way, but those are the biggest people that are of danger because they have more information than they should essentially. So We'll talk about router safety. So when that person comes in and sets up your Wi-Fi network, the first thing I do is every router is different. I go through those settings and I go through every single one and I see what they are. I want to make sure I understand what my router is doing and I want to know what kind of network it's broadcasting and what the internet actually is. So first thing you do is change all of those default passwords. So a lot of people don't realize to get access onto the router, it's usually just like an admin, admin, or admin password. That's the router itself. I'm not talking about the Wi-Fi network, but if you have access to the router itself, you have access to the entire network and you own that network essentially. Mm -hmm. So change those default passwords. And then from there, I don't like to use the default name of network and passwords that are already set up on those routers. Usually those routers, by doing 
you know, some open source intelligence and research, and then doing some, we'll say like Wi-Fi investigation or network investigation, you can commonly find out by the signals that are emitted from the Wi-Fi network, what kind of router that is. And once you find out what kind of router it is, it's very easy to look up specific information on that router to tell what kind of naming scheme or like password scheme is used for that router. And when you have a little bit of information like that, like if I found out that this standard Verizon router that's put out has this kind of naming scheme and I can confirm that naming scheme because someone didn't change the name of their network, that I know that that network is usually eight characters, the first four being letters and the second four being numbers. And I can run that through a word list or even a word creator. And I can probably crack that password in a matter of like hours. And that might be being generous as well. Like it, it might take minutes. Oh my God. So that's how, you know, I will say my background comes in from some Wi-Fi security, network security. And I've done like a lot of Wi-Fi hacking like that. And people don't understand that these password limitations are making it easier and easier for hackers. And what I mean by that is the shorter the password, the easier it is. I can figure out any password in, let's say like American US keyboard numbers, letters, character symbols in a matter of, what is it, like 58 minutes or something of that sort. I'm talking about you just randomly hit the keyboard eight times and I can figure it out. If I figure out that Wi-Fi password, I have access to your Wi-Fi network. And then if I have more information about your network, like your router, I get full access to that router. That's, <laughs> that's I know that's, I, that's definitely, <laughs> yeah. And I know that's a lot of information, but the biggest thing is we're not trying to instill fear in people, but we need to people to understand that some people are really good at this stuff and it's easier for them than you think it is. Right. The awareness of that. Cause I think everyone is, yes. it looks cool in movies and on Hollywood and stuff. You're like, Oh yeah, but it takes really highly skilled people to do that. But they're, yes. I want to say for not my generation, but the generation behind me is much more tech savvy. That's not long at all to crack a password if they need to. Exactly. So the first part, router safety, we understand we need to understand what the router is doing and change all of the passwords and change your Wi-Fi network and password. That's what I'd recommend. Okay. And when you go in and explore that router, what I like to do, you know, there's kind of different levels of security and what you can do. And, and one thing that you can do is you can go in there and set different settings for security. And I'm talking like we call it's Mac filtering or blocking ports and things like that. So I could block a port that says you can't do these tasks through my Wi-Fi network at all. And then there's what's called Mac filtering, which means a Mac address is pretty much like a social security number for devices. It's it's unique. And it can be spoofed, meaning it can be fake sometimes, but that's going to be more advanced. But what you could do is you could be like, hey, I have my cell phone, my laptop, my smart TV, and put that on your router and say only these devices can access my router. Gotcha. So you're pretty much making an allow list instead of a block list on your router. And that's one way to also kind of just guarantee or prevent people from getting onto your network. And then we'll go into one part. One more part on this, and it's the guest network. So a lot of the uh, Wi-Fi routers these days come with the access of enabling guest networks. And I'm actually a pretty big fan of this because in the world we live today, we have IoT devices, Internet of Things devices. And what that really means is any kind of device that has Internet access, that's not like a phone or a computer, essentially. So smart fridge, smart doorbell, smart cameras, even your smart TV, things like that. Now, the problem, and like we had mentioned before, we didn't grow up in this security awareness area. We also didn't develop a lot of these devices with a security background, meaning people made these devices with the intent of being easy for you to use. 
And that was the biggest thing. Security came second. So a lot of these devices, they're not updated properly. They don't even have ability to be updated. So what I like to do is I like to put all of my IoT devices on my guest network, which is pretty much, we'll say it's secluded from your regular network in most okay. cases. So it helps you protect your regular home network that you're using daily to browse and might have private information on it. And you're keeping that away from your guest network that has everything else. And also I would use my guest network to actually let guests use it. I wouldn't give my own password for my regular network. I'd have them use the guest network. Right, that makes sense, okay. So, all right, so I'm gonna say that's all we need for home Wi-Fi. that'll give you the baseline. And I think I mentioned it before, but really what we're trying to do is we're establishing a high baseline right now to keep us away from that lowest hanging fruit. And I know it can be a lot, but the more you put in, the more you're protected, the, I guess you're not as low of a hanging fruit. So let's go into the next part, uh, devices. And we've covered some of this already, but you always just wanna cover your background or cover your, your basis a little bit with devices. And this will go for a lot of devices. So tablets, phones, computers, devices, as in some of your IoT devices, it depends on what you're using. First thing we talked about, VPNs. Always try to use a VPN, especially when on a public network. I will generally say that for the really security conscious and private conscious person, they'll always just keep it on 24 seven for VPN. I usually don't use it on my home network, but that's because I'm not really doing anything crazy on my home network. But if I'm going to go ahead and access my bank, credit card, anything like that, I'll go ahead and turn that VPN on. Gotcha, okay. And a couple quick things that I look for for VPN is when you're on a VPN or when you're looking for to buy a VPN, uh, usually what you get is what you're paying for. And what I mean is what you pay for is what you get. If it's free, you're probably not gonna get a lot of the good stuff. You're limited of some sort. So I always use the paid for ones, but I'm looking at who owns this VPN and where is it hosted? From an adversarial perspective, you're talking foreign interests like China and things like that. I'm not gonna get a Chinese owned VPN. You know, there's many, many stories behind that and why we wouldn't wanna do that. But, you know, I'm looking for something that has privacy protective rights in that country. So a lot of like the European countries will be more protective when it comes to that. So I go for that. And then I look at where these servers are located. So like if you have a VPN, and it's just one server and it's in China or Thailand or something like that. I stay away from those. But if there's a whole bunch of servers in America, in Europe and things like that, those are ones that I'll go for. I want access to change things. So there's a lot of good VPNs out there. So just do a little bit of research on it, right? Go look at reviews and things like that. Next thing we'll go to is encryption. Always try to use device encryption and many people have information on those devices. And if you lose it and it's encrypted, you're going to be much more better off. And from the encryption, I try to use everything encrypted when I can, meaning I like to use encrypted emails and encrypted messaging. So I use ProtonMail. That's just one of many end-to-end -end encrypted emails. And that just keeps everything more private and secure for you. So even if this ProtonMail is subpoenaed for something, they actually can't legally give you or give them any information that goes to their emails because they don't know what's actually happening because it's actually in, in encryption. Okay. And that goes the same thing with some messaging platforms. So I, I like to use Signal. It's a little bit easy to use on Android, iOS, things like that. Signal is an end-to-end -end encryption. You can do things like disappearing messages, or you can keep the messages there at all times to refer back to, but it just, it gives you options to stay more secure and more private. And I'm, I'm a huge thing about privacy. So one thing I want to note as well is, is a lot of these are what's called open source. And open source means everyone can view it. And that's opposed to what we call like closed source. So we'll say like Microsoft Windows 10 or Android Google operating system. Those are all closed source, meaning we can't view the code behind it. So we have to assume that Microsoft, Apple, Google, they're all doing their due diligence and security measures and what kind of 
what they're doing with that information. And what we can do with open source is, I'm not saying every open source is secure and private, but when it is open source, people have the ability to go read that code and assess it themselves. So if you get to a lot of popular things that are open source, like Firefox, things like that, they people can verify that they're actually doing what they say they're doing with that information and that data. Yeah, okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, and, and we'll go ahead and take that to go into web browser. So I like Firefox because of the open source and the capabilities that it has. And one thing that I would highly recommend using on any kind of browser is browsers that have add-on capability. And once, once again, a lot of these add-ons are open source, which gives us that quality assurance, essentially, of these applications and these add-ons. And what I mean by an add-on is it's like, hey, do you want to add this Google search bar to your top bar? That could be considered an add-on, right? I wouldn't use those, but that's just an example. Ones that I like to use is if you go to the add-on stores and the extension stores, you can find these just by a search, same thing as like a Google search. But I use a couple of them. I think 10-Minute Mail might have been renamed or is, is a different name now. But what that is, is I can click a button on 10-Minute Mail and it gives me a fake email address that I can use to get onto something. So like if you go to xyz.com and it says, oh, give us your email address to access this, you can put in one of these email addresses instead of giving your own email address. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple other ones that are like ghostery, privacy blocker, and ad blocker. Those kind of make sense when you think about it, but really they're blocking everything like trackers, gathering information, keeping you as private as you can while you browse. A lot of people don't realize there's tons of trackers out there and information that's sucking it up from your computer and it's taking that information. We think about like targeted advertising. Every time you go to Facebook, why does an advertisement come up saying, buy this that you were just talking about, but you didn't actually push it anywhere, but like heard you or something of that sort. That's kind of where that comes in. Yes, we actually have some of those on my computer here, and it's amazing how much they have to block. <laughs> yeah, it'll show you, and you're just like doing like a, a very like totally not shopping related re research sort of stuff for work, and it's there's so much out there that's trying to pull information from you. It's impressive. That's one thing we said. I go in and check all my Wi-Fi settings. I check all my application settings, and I always turn off that targeted advertisements or those privacy ones if you go in there take a look at what you're actually saying yes to and mm -hmm. you know we hit on the phone safety but even on the devices like when you get that pop-up that says are you willing to give up this and this and this to install this application you're pretty much giving up your life on your phone or your device <laughs> and you're giving them access to everything so you can use the facebook application on your phone or whatever it is right like, there's no need that the facebook application or whatever it is on your phone should be able to access every single photo from your entire like Google Photos or iCloud stream right? and yes. every single piece of information on your phone. It just right. doesn't make sense, but we've grown up to say yes to that because that's what we've done forever. Right, yes, it's easy. Yeah. Just there's naps, yes. just upload it, go. Yeah, yes. and, and so back to Firefox, the last one that I'd recommend is what's called like always use HTTPS. So an HTTP is like that web address that you put up there. But mm -hmm. to give an example, when you go to bestbuy.com and you click complete purchase or whatever it is, it takes you to a secure HTTP, so HTTPS, and it's got that little lock up there. It shows that it's green or something of that sort to show that it's secured. And what you can do is you can put this add-on and it opens up every single web page in an HTTPS, a secured page if possible. I think that's just a good way to go. Perfect. And then last thing for device usage is, is just be really careful of, kind of went back to the awareness earlier, but like people are thinking it's really cool to use like bit.ly and URL shorteners these days. When someone sends you one of those short URLs, you have no idea what it really leads you to. So, you know, we'll include this in the little checklist, but there's websites like checkshorturl.com that you can put this link into and it actually shows you what it is. So 
from an adversary and a nefarious perspective, I would 100% try to use those short URLs during a phishing email or some kind of scam to make people click that link. And then that link might actually have something that runs in the background of your computer to give me access to something or to you know listen on a computer or something of that sort. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. So we'll keep trucking through. Let's go into the phones real quick. We're actually just talking about this, the app installs. Be careful about what you're doing from an app perspective. Every time you click install, just read one of those one time to see actually what you're giving it access to. A lot of times you cannot use these apps without doing that. And I get that. Security is all about finding that happy meeting between security and privacy, ease of use. Mm -hmm. So just be aware <laughs> you're giving these things, these apps a lot more access than you think you are. So the next part, some things that are good about Android is you can do what's called, like you can root your Android installing a custom ROM, which is a custom operating system. So if you have someone that's super secure and private, what you can do is actually install these, a custom secure and private operating system onto this Android phone. And why I say this is you get to de-Google your phone. That's big when it comes to a private perspective, because if you think about pretty much anything that like the big companies do, so we're talking like Apple, Microsoft, Google, any of those really big ones, Facebook, Twitter, they're pretty much sucking in as much data as they can to learn more about you, to make your advertisements and make money off of your data. I personally like to take away from that if I can and not give as much information as myself. And that's just the way you can do that. Okay. And then diving in deeper from the privacy perspective, and this goes back to devices and phones, but the browsers that we use. So we talked about Firefox, but it even goes a step further. So I like to use what's called Brave. And that actually takes away all the trackers automatically. It pretty much limits what can be used on that router. That's just one step further than the Firefox and the add-ons. And Brave also has add-ons as well, but they're just built with different backgrounds and different intentions. Yes, that's what we have on all our computers here. And it, it does make some things, I will say, but who cares, a little more difficult to get to things. Not yes. that bad at all. Like maybe an extra step or whatever, but what it's protecting you against <laughs> is significant. So totally worth it. Totally worth it. Yes. Yeah. And then even another step further with that is we talk about like our search history and our search engines that we use, right? So Google has a huge API and algorithm to help tailor those searches to what you want to see. But it's taking in all that information, even on the web page, it's tracking your mouse movement and things like that. So it's taking all that information and it's using it to help you. And one thing you can do is I like to use different search engines like DuckDuckGo. And I think Brave has one built in, but it does not use those algorithms to utilize your information. It just gives you a straight up search on what it is. That's just another way you can do it. And I do want to hit one thing to give a little bit of information about your personal data. So think about, we're talking about that Google history or that search engine, right? What happens when you go to google.com and it's tracking that your hand is shaking and it tracks all of your information and it puts two and two together to realize that you might have some kind of medical risk. But instead of notifying that you might have a medical risk based off all these things that you do, it's trying to sell you medical data instead. That's just like an example of how it could utilize your services, your, your intentions, your information, your movement and things like that to be used against you, which is what they're usually trying to make money off of you from instead of notifying you and doing the right thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot to process. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we're pretty much covered, right? We've, we've covered a, a pretty good baseline of what we can do to protect ourselves. And, and one thing I would also recommend to all people listening and anybody out there is there's a couple of things that I use occasionally. It's on some links. It's there's a website called haveibeenpwned.com. This is really good to use because it shows you 
if you put in your email address in here, it'll tell you if it's come up in any kind of data breach. Essentially a data breach saying, hey, we have your email, your contact information, your password, something of that sort. We talked yes. about password manager, and that's important because reusing passwords is really a big part of it. If you use the same password in every single thing, you've probably been a part of some sort of data breach and you might've lost one of those passwords to a nefarious user. And it's really easy for them to use that password to get somewhere else. Gotcha. I have used that and it is very fascinating to see where it pops up, like things you will may not have thought of remembered or thought were insignificant. And it's exactly yeah, very good information. The other one I want to hit on is how secure is my password dot net. Uh, and there's many websites like this, but essentially we talked about how easy it would be for me who I would say is some sort of a Wi-Fi expert, but I'm not even the guy that's out there hacking people. And I'm not doing this every day. It'll show you how easy and how quickly it actually is to get that password or hack that password based off how many numbers and digits you use. So if you put in your password in there, if it's like password one, two, three on a machine, how long will it take to crack that password? And it kind of just gives you an idea of how easy or hard some of your passwords are that you use. So yeah. I, okay. Yeah. I will say one thing that I did not say is obviously use a password manager if you can. I think that's probably the best approach. But if you're gonna not use a password manager, try to make every password different. Shoot for like 15 characters or more. Maybe actually use a phrase. Don't use just one word. Use a phrase that maybe means something to you, but would not be memorable for other people, harder for someone to figure out. If you love a sport, be like, I am number 15 and love soccer and put some symbols in there or something of that sort. But that can make your passwords way harder to crack because it's so many letters and so many words put together that it's harder to crack. They're just going to quit before they get to the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, we don't want to be the lowest hanging fruit. So what I would do is I might go grab all this information that if I'm out with like a device that's connecting Wi-Fi information in the neighborhood, I'll take what I can and I'm going to run all those things through like a word list or something of that sort. And what will happen is if one or two people has a super easy password and I crack that real quick, that's exactly who my target's going to be. And that's right now, we're just trying not to be that easy target. Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's pretty much what I wanted to cover this, but I just want to say, we don't want to be that lowest hanging fruit. But if you have someone that's coming after you, get professional help. Because like I said, if someone's really after someone individually or a company, it's just time, money, resources that it takes to get to something. And eventually they're probably going to get to it if they want it that bad and have the time and resources to do it. Gotcha. That This is, it's a lot of information, but it is so pertinent to like everything we're walking around with and using around the house and with us in our pockets and our purses every day. So thank you for all this information. It's awesome. And again, we're going to have a checklist that comes along with this and has the websites. I do have a couple more questions really quick. So as far as like updating and all that sort of stuff, how often should I be doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's say with this checklist that we're developing, this is a great baseline to start from. And then from that baseline and that checklist, it's really an ongoing effort. You have to be very aware of what you're doing at all times. Be curious and suspicious everywhere you go. And it's really like, think about it, try to put security at the forefront for a little bit and see how you act differently. And that's kind of the way we should be approaching things. Okay. So, and then updates don't happen automatically, right? Like I have to go actually mm -hmm. do them, click on it, make sure, open up my apps, make sure those are updated on my phone. Like you said, like the otherwise vulnerabilities can just be out there and you're open to attack. You're leaving the door unlocked and open pretty much. Yeah. And that's a good point. So I, I did not mention 
go through all the settings of your applications like we talked about, but specifically go to some your settings for updates and your notifications. I think like Windows and Android, iOS, all those operating systems, they allow you to be notified immediately when there's an available update and it can even download it for you automatically and notify you. So I would turn okay. all those on to be the most aggressive in letting you know that there's an update. Okay. All right. Good. And then I do have one more. This one's kind of come up and become more popular since the pandemic, but QR codes, these things are everywhere now. And we've all gotten a lot more familiar with like, Hey, that's how you access your menu or, you know, whatever. And these things are yes. all over. They're showing up on some of them. Uh, we love watching the Marvel shows, but like they're, they'll have QR codes like in the TV show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like on somewhere. So how, what's the security associated with those? Should we have the VPN before your accessing of a QR code or what's the deal there? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, like we talked about, we are in the digital age. We are not going to get around QR codes. It's not going away, right? So really, you just have to make sure you trust the source that it's coming from. I can 100% use a QR code for nefarious actions and build what's called a payload. So if you scan my QR code, I can make it give some sort of access to your computer or your phone or something of that sort if you have not patched everything or if I have an exploit. So it's kind of going back to being suspicious and aware. I know if my best friend is giving me a QR code or if, if I'm 100% aware that this is coming from a restaurant, I would probably take a different route. But if I know where it's coming from, I'll scan it. Okay. I try to stay away from them in general if I can. If it says some kind of restaurant, it says scan this QR code for the menu, I'd probably rather just Google that restaurant and then go find a menu on their website because I can guarantee or I have more control of where that's coming from. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. That just popped up there because those have gotten a lot more popular recently. Yes. And it just seems very easy. Like app, we're all about the ease first and then security later. So this has been a cool switch to see what things we can do, steps we can take. They're not hard for most of them. You might need to learn mm -hmm. some stuff for other things, but very easy to go through and check all your apps on your phone, that sort of thing, make sure everything's updated. So thank you so much for all of this information. It was really, really valuable. We all need to hear it. Anyone has any questions, you can always reach out uh, via email. We're available at riskmitigation at lsds.us. You can also check out our website for more information about the company. That's lsds.us. We'll be back with the risk mitigation side of the house. Our next podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the top holiday scams out there, what to watch out for, how to avoid them. And so hopefully some steps to mitigate any situations you might find yourself in as well. So once again, thank you so much, Cliff, for your time. We'll get this wrapped up here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I always love working with you guys.